What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis. And per usual, we have another fantastic guest who represents Black excellence across the world. Today's guest is Dr. Tanya Mitchell Spradlin. Dr. Tanya, say hello to the world. Hi, so happy. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, thank you for having me on, David. Pleasure is ours. So per usual, we like to begin with uh, our guests telling a little bit about themselves. So who is Tanya Mitchell Spradlin? <laughs> well, uh, I am I am a college band director. Uh, I am very happy to be a college band director because it's actually the only thing I've ever wanted to do my entire life. Uh, I currently teach at Penn State University, but uh, when I was in sixth grade, actually, that's when I knew I wanted to be a band director, not necessarily college. I just wanted to be an amazing band director. You know, it's, it's actually kind of interesting because a lot of people, when they get that, that, uh, that spark that excitement for what they want to do with the rest of their lives, it usually comes from a, an inspirational place, right? But my story started with a really bad experience. It was not a good experience. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it. I started playing the piano when I was uh, like seven years old. My mom got me this little 61 key light up keyboard, you know, the, the kind where when the, the light flashes on the key, you press that button. And so I would just tinker around like this. Okay. And then she uh, got me, and then she got me a bigger keyboard with 88 keys and then put me in lessons. And so I had been playing piano for a while. So I was used to doing these little recitals. My older brother was already in band by the time I got to sixth grade. He played the trumpet mm -hmm. and he said, you can't play a brass instrument. I have the brass family you have <laughs> to play a woodwind instrument. Uh, if that tells you a little bit about my relationship with my brother. <laughs> so I picked a woodwind instrument. I picked a clarinet and I would practice and practice and practice. And I was so used to doing these recitals for my family and it sounded so bad Nothing sounded good, no matter how much I practiced. And then I found out from my brother, not my teacher, from my brother. Hey, Tanya, whenever I watch people play the clarinet, they wet the reed first, and then they put it on the mouthpiece. That's how you have to play a woodwind instrument. And I wasn't taught to do that. Wow. Uh, and then finally I did it and I could play. And so it was around then when I decided I'm going to be a band director and I'm not going to let weeks go by with my students not knowing how to play and, and I'm going to encourage and foster that passion. And so in sixth grade, that's when I decided I'm going to be a band director specifically. Wow. That is some story. All right. So sixth grade, you have your, uh, your life's goals already planned out while the rest of us are trying to figure out which uh, side is left and right. <laughs> All right. So, so now you are a doctor. You are the director of Wind Band Studies at Penn State University. Uh, I'm, I have to say this, go blue. But, um, <laughs> yes, that's right. We are. <laughs> now I meant the blue and amazing blue, but. but, but oh, uh, no, 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 no. 
I thought you were talking about our Penn State blue. No, no. You oh, no. can't be doing we, that, David. It's only one blue around here. <laughs> but um, so I'm curious, um, how do you get from sixth grade to a doctoral program? What happens along the way there? Mm, yeah, a lot. Um <laughs> And and for me, it was a lot in kind of a short period of time because I am, I'm 32 and uh, I teach college and um, many of my colleagues and friends around the country uh, are not my same age. And so uh, I wanted to be a band director. So I just kept practicing and practicing and practicing and learning new instruments. And so when it came time to apply to go to school, it was a no-brainer for me. I'm going to music school. I'm going to get a music mm-hmm. education degree. I want to go to the best school that I can get into that I feel like is a good fit for me. And so I'm from um, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that's wow. kind of a lie because for people who know Atlanta, I'm actually from Lawrenceville, Georgia. But <laughs> <laughs> I say Atlanta because nobody knows where Lawrenceville is, but it's about okay. 20 minutes north of Atlanta. Okay. Uh, and so I was prepared to leave the house. So I, w- I was ready to go out of state. And so I went to school at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. No blue. Um, see, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I went to Indiana. I had the best time. I loved it there. I felt like I got good education. Um, but I had spent so much time teaching in Indiana schools. I did not like the aspect of competition in the music setting. And so like the, the concert ensemble, the one that uh, taught me at sixth grade that I wanted to be a band director, I really felt strongly as an undergraduate student that that should be a place to develop skills, strengths, joy, passion. It shouldn't yeah. be a place where 15 year olds are competing with other 15 year olds to be the best. They should be showcasing their skills for one another to say, yes. wow, that was really great. And so Indiana kind of has this culture where there's like some competition in the festival setting, the evaluation setting for bands. And so I didn't want to student teach there. And so my school had this um, cultural studies option where I actually student taught on the Navajo reservation in Kayenta, Arizona. And wow. so I tried to get a job out there and stay, but I wasn't able to find a job teaching band. Mm-hmm. So um, at the last second, I mean, all my friends had jobs before I did. I, in fact, I used to travel around with a suit, a full suit in my car, hoping that one of these hundreds of jobs I applied to would call me and ask me for an interview. And I could say, yeah, I'm ready. I got a suit in my car. When are we going to do it? And I remember I was, uh, there was a problem with my car registration back home in, a, in Georgia. And so I drove down from Indiana to Georgia. Of course, I had a suit in my car. And right as I was about to leave, my car was running and I was just going back in to hug my mom, say goodbye. And I got a phone call from a number I didn't recognize. And it was a high school asking me to come into an interview the next day. Wow. Uh, so I took that interview and I was fortunate to get that job. And I loved that job. Oh, I love those students. I taught that high school, Shambly High School for four years. Mm -hmm. And that was the same zip code as Atlanta. So it was uh, really close to Atlanta. Uh, While I was there, I did my master's degree 
in music education at the University of Georgia because I could keep my job and take classes over the summer. I lived in Athens over the summer and I could drive back and forth to, to additional classes. And it was also while I was there that um, my first conducting teacher when I was an undergrad, he had become the director of bands at Kansas. And I liked his wow. philosophy. It was all about uh, building excellence in young people in a relaxed setting. Like it's okay to laugh. It's yeah. okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be a human being and still make yeah. good music. Um, so I left to study with him for my doctorate. And, you know, once you get that doctorate, you want to keep doing things at that level. Yeah. And that's what led me to teaching college. So I taught at Valdosta State for one year, and I taught at the University of South Carolina for three years, and now I'm at Penn State. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's great. That's a uh, fast-tracked, right? Uh, it's easy for me to say, but it seems like a fast-track that you were able to jump on and um, get to where you are. So I'm curious about what kind of challenges you uh, faced as you you know, got into the position of director, you know, so you're working your way to that position. What kind of challenges did you face and how did you overcome those challenges? I'm trying to think <laughs> where to start. Uh, you know, let me, let me start with like this, this mental uh, shift that I had when I was growing up outside of Atlanta. So I'll start by saying one, one of the challenges I had was just viewing myself differently. Okay. And not really yes. being aware that I needed to until the time came that I needed to. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in an area that was really diverse. I mean, it was not uncommon. I was never the only black person in class. I was never the only black female in class. Mm-hmm. We had um, Vietnamese students in our class, a big Vietnamese population, a big uh uh, population of students from Thailand. It's just an interesting like hodgepodge of people. There's uh, all different kinds of people, religions, backgrounds, nationalities, experiences where I grew up. And that was just how it was. And then I went to school in Indiana and I was so used to seeing all that diversity. You know, I was the only black female, the only black person who got my degree in the four years that I was there. And wow. that's a we- that's weird. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until I started teaching high school band, I went back into my my zone and I thought, all right, well, this is all I've ever wanted to do. It's really diverse school. And uh, it was in DeKalb County. DeKalb County is a huge county. And if you've ever seen that movie Drumline, Southwest yeah. DeKalb High School is the high school band, is the band that uh, was in the movie Drumline. And my superintendent for music, my supervisor of music, was the music um, supervisor for the two drumline movies. Wow. Right? (laughs) Right? Yeah. And that school, that that county, I think, had 18 high school bands. 15 of those high school bands were um, show-style bands. Uh, like modeled after the HBCU band, show style bands. Yes. And three of them were core style bands, like what you would see at, uh, like in Indiana, you know, like the, the school that I went to. Okay. And that's where I taught. And so it was interesting because I got this job and everybody was like, oh, you're going to make it a show style band. And I was like, yeah. oh, but yeah. I went, 
but I went to Burkmar High School in Indiana. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> we're, yeah. gonna, we're just going to do it this way. Um, and that was the first time I started to feel uh, different. So you asked the question, obstacles to overcome. Yeah. Um, I'll tell a short little story. You know, I, t- I had said all my life, all I ever wanted to do is be a band director. It's the only thing I've wanted to do. Like I've geared all my training towards it. I mean, done a couple other little things here and there, but my very first football game uh, at, the, at the high school, at Shambly High School, uh, I thought the band did a good job. I thought they played really well. I thought they represented the school well and displayed you know, all their hard work. And I had somebody come up uh, to the band to congratulate the director. And I had a, an assistant director, a white male, older than me. We back then we used to wear these polos that would say director of bands, Tanya Mitchell, assistant director of bands, you know, and uh, this man came up to the assistant and said, hey, your band sounds really good. You know, uh, y'all been working really hard. Good job as the director. And he said, oh, I'm not the director. She's the director. And he was like, no, you're the director. And he's like, I just told you I'm not the director, although thank you. You know, I work here too. She's the director. And, you know, then he went to the students and he said, hey, this I think this guy's trying to pull my chain. Who's your director? It's clearly him. Right. And they said, no, it's her. It's her over there. (laughs) Then this person went to one of the parent boosters and was like, I'm trying to find your director. Everybody keeps lying. You know, who's your director? And they said, oh, it's her, you know, Miss Mitchell. And when I saw that happening and then just to see it with your own eyes and hear it, I thought. Wow. Yeah. All my life I've wanted to do this one thing. Yeah. And I'm doing it. And for some people, like they can't even fathom uh a young woman, a young black woman in this position, so much so that <laughs> even after being told, you know, three, four, five times, they still, still can't wrap their head around it. And I thought, this is really disappointing, but this is yeah. exactly where I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. So not only can they not fathom it, but you're actually doing it, <laughs> right? You're actually carrying it out literally in front of them and they still can't believe it. Yep. You know, what's interesting about that too <laughs> is I was doing this honor band one time and this student rose her hand and uh, she's a little flute player in the front row. And she said, you know, Dr. Mitchell, I had got my doctor by that time. She said, you know, Dr. Mitchell, you're saying all the right things. We're getting better. I and mean, you're definitely a good conductor and a leader, but like, you just don't look like, I'm just so shocked. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't really know what to do with that. I thought, well, music is music and teaching is teaching, right? Yeah. Change the game, change the game. So something that you said, uh, took my mind in, into a, another direction because, um, you know, I know kind of from the outside looking in these two uh, different types of bands, you know, and I really know it because of a, a friend that we have in common, Mr. Damian Crutcher. And, you know, there is this challenge, especially if you are teaching in a community that's predominantly African-American and they want to show band and you want to teach the uh, students how to play their instruments. 
right? That has value as well. So have you encountered that kind of challenge as well from our community with regards to the show band and balancing that with actually teaching them the, uh, the things they need to know to play the instrument? Yeah, a little bit. And I think that comes from, I think that comes from this ingrained culture we have in our music system that really says good music, classical music uh, is, is kind of whitewashed. And so, but these, like these amazing marching bands performing, winning at battle of bands, like that gets so much attention that of course, if you feel validated in something, then you're going to pour yourself into that something. And if you don't feel like you see yourself represented, then it takes um, it, it takes less of your uh, energy and your priority. And so uh, that is a challenge that's happening in some places. And then in other places that I've, I've watched like a major overcoming of that challenge. Uh, the yeah. big thing I think that, that bridges that gap, the play the instrument correctly with uh, skill, musicianship intact not necessarily play to win something or play to be the loudest. Um, I think that we get that way. We get to that place by showing exceptional classically trained black musicians to students so that they see it. Um, I'm a firm believer that representation or lack of representation is really at the heart of everything. Yes. And so, that's really uh, the spirit behind this podcast. I don't know if you're aware of that, but you know what we're trying to do is counter the perspective of what black is. And oftentimes, when black is uh, on any uh, any media outlet, you know the vast majority of it is buffoonery or thuggery or something like that. And you know my experience, and I came up in Detroit on the east side, you know, and I do know some thuggery type and buffoonery type people. But the vast majority of the people that I know are not those people. But yet this is how we're portrayed. And so this podcast is designed to kind of counter that argument. So, you know, we're so happy to have you on. But enough about enough about me. Sorry for indulging a little bit there. But so I want to ask you about now you're in this role, director of wind band studies at Penn State University. Right. You are not like the other directors. You're black, young, you know, so we talked earlier pre-show, you know, we know you're black, we know you're female, but the young part, we didn't even think about. Talk about the challenges that come now in the role that you're currently in. Yeah, um, I'll talk about it from two sides, the, the internal side and the external side. Uh, I'll start with the ex- external side, build myself up for that <laughs> internal Uh so if you Google the word conductor, now, like right now, today in December 2020, then you'll get mostly white male conductors, but you'll also get a decent number of women, uh, Joseph Young, who's African-American uh, classical conductor. You'll get primarily orchestra, not band. Most people don't, nobody knows about band. It's like, nobody cares about the band. <laughs> and that's okay. We're a relatively new medium. We're not, uh, you know, 
uh, hundred years ago, you would go watch orchestra. It was a thing to do. You didn't go watch band. Um, and the band, the way we have it, didn't even exist, you know, 150 years ago. So if you Google, you'll see all these different faces. But what's interesting is in March of this same year, I did a Google search just looking for conductor, and there were no women, and there were no people of color. And so something happened between March 2020 and December 2020. This summer happened. We watched George Floyd get murdered on TV. We watch consistently more and more and more news coverage of more people talking about these things that have been happening all through history anyway. And uh, music communities took notice of that and are working for some active change, right? And so I wanted to say that because wanting to be a band director all my life, when I close my eyes and I try to imagine how to be professional, how to put on a concert, I don't see anyone that looks myself. It, it, yeah. it creates like some major cognitive dissonance yeah. to be in a position, but not see anyone else in that position and then still feel like you're supposed to belong yeah. and, and be vulnerable. Right. So I, I told you about the X, ex- I was going to say external, but I got, I kind of went internal on that one. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, the, some more of the external challenges are that uh, if I see it that way, other people see it that way too. Yeah. Uh, so students in particular. So, you know, there's this, this way of acting. Uh, there's this persona of, you know, the good band director. And I yeah. don't fit that. Um, and so <laughs> I have always wondered or worried when I've gotten new jobs, are my students going to take me seriously? Are they going to view me as professional? Are my colleagues going to take me seriously? Um, and they always have, at least uh, to my face, that I, I, I believe they have. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a little bit of an external thing. And then another thing about that, too, is uh, now with our community, I guess, becoming more woke or trying harder to fill the void of this lack of representation, sometimes you get asked to do things uh, and well-meaning people will say, I'd love to have you come work with my band. It'd be great for my students to see a black woman, which used to irk me because I would mm-hmm. think, well, don't you just want them to see, are you only asking me because I'm a black woman? Or are you asking me because what I'm doing is good, right? <laughs> right? Like don't ask yeah. me to do something if you don't think it's a, it's a value. <laughs> I had to fight that because, you know, David, I, I'm just being really vulnerable with you in, in, the, in the audience. Uh, when that would first happen, I would feel offended. And then I thought, no, y'all do need to see a Black woman. You need to see it. You need to see all kinds of different people. If I can be that role so that one, you know, little girl on the back sees that maybe one day she can be a college band director too. Yes. Then that, that's important. Yeah. So I kind of merged the external internal together. <laughs> yeah, you, you skipped over the internal a little bit though. So was there more there about yeah. the internal? Yeah, I've had to fight this this whole thing on my own. And you know, when I taught high school, I didn't worry that much about what other people thought. I didn't worry too much about being young or or black or female. And I yeah. think I think it's part of it is because I was in DeKalb County where there are a lot of black band directors and yeah. I wasn't the only black female band director. Yeah. And I wasn't the youngest by that much. Um I also had a great experience and you know, I told you that when you Googled conductor, 
in March, you got older white males. But when you Google teacher, you got young women. Like there's this divide between high art and just teaching. Yeah. And that was a really tough one for me because I think of them as the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, we, we teach students how to enact an oral vision that they can then share to an audience to make a personal connection. Um, and so I just fought this inner battle with myself. Like I'm, I'm don't, I'm, I need a role model. I need some help with me feeling totally confident in this role. And I fought, uh, like imposter syndrome. Mm. I still feel that now all the time. I had a concert last night and I was like, I don't want anybody to know I have a concert. Oh, it's not good enough. (laughs) And oh, who am I? And my family was just like, that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) You need to show all the hard work everyone's doing. And, and I just think that all the time, because even now when I have a new idea, I think, Ooh, this will be a cool idea no, this is not what we do as band yeah. directors, but like who made that model and why? Yeah. Uh, so that's a little bit of that internal struggle. To tell you one last little thing about that, I have a grad student now. We were talking about what do we wear? The <laughs> fact that we have to analyze, you know, what we wear for a concert. Yeah. What are we allowed to paint our nails? How do we wear our hair? And I said, well, close your eyes. What do you think professional is? And she opened yes. her eyes and she said, a tuxedo. Because all I can picture are, are men in this, in this space. Wow. And that was really sad because when I closed my eyes, I saw that too. Because all my life, that's the conductors I saw. So what do you wear? <laughs> I wear whatever I, I want. Uh, <laughs> you know, I made, I used to follow this whole thing. Oh, I have to wear a suit. But, you know, I have decided y'all are going to see my natural hair and however I want to wear it. And as long as I feel good about it, this is what you got. Um, I like to wear skirts and to show that, yes, you can be feminine in this uh, very masculine space. Yeah. Um, I used to only wear skirts, like as a, as a rule. And mm-hmm. now I just wear whatever I want and whatever yeah. I feel uh, comfortable with. So I'm curious about this evolution, right? Um, what's at the center, if you can speak to it, what's at the center at, at, of this confidence that you gain over time? So you, you buck in the trend, I guess, with the skirt, right? I'm going to wear skirts, but I'm going to keep it at skirts. But then now you're more comfortable in just wearing whatever comes to mind. And I do want to speak a little bit more on that once you respond to that, but talk about the what's the source of this evolution to this comfortability that you have reached? Yeah, that's a great question. And I still think I'm striving to reach, you know, that yeah. total comfort. Uh, I can say one thing that's affected me a lot lately since I took this job at Penn State. I've only been here I just got this job. I just finished my first semester. Final exams are Tuesday. Um, There are, somebody did a study and they found that there are fewer than 10 black female college band directors in the entire United States, period. And fewer than 16 in the history of the United States, black female college band directors. 
I'm the first black female college band director at a D1 university in the history of the United States. And so that, I don't mean to say that to be like, oh, look at me. I mean to say that because I talked a lot about representation and this shift. Yeah. And I've always thought I need to do these things to be accepted in this field. Yeah. I have to dress this way. Right. You know, and then it really started to sink in. There's 10 of us and I'm the first one at this uh, in a power five school or in a large university. I don't have to try to be like anybody else because there isn't one. (laughs) <laughs> so what I do, that's going to be the that's marker. Right. And they hired me for a reason and yes. I'm good at what I do. Yes. And so, you know, if I want to wear this, if I want to wear my hair like that, if I want to paint my nails like this, I'm still giving excellent instruction. My students are still yes. professional and focused and poised. Like why should it matter that I wear hoop earrings yes. in a professional space? Like I think I need to make it my job to show what professionalism is. Yeah. And so that thinking like that helped is uh, slowly helping me (laughs) to get where I want to be. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm so happy that you are where you are. It's it's amazing that in it was sixth grade. Right. When you figured it out. That's right. (laughs) And uh, it seems like it was destined not just for your own personal, you know, life's dream, but the impact that you're going to have. And I'm so excited that we were able to get you here on the Dripping in Black podcast to share that story. Let me look over and see if there's anything else that I want to, because I feel like I could, I'm almost feel like I'm just watching you. All right. It's just, uh, it's one of those tripped out things where I'm the, the host and I'm thinking of questions, but your, your stories are so um, awesome. Um, let me make sure I didn't miss anything here. What, what do you find most rewarding? What do you find most rewarding in the position that you're in? Hmm. Uh, a few things. Um, I wanted to get into this field because I loved teaching. So when I see students accomplish something they didn't think they could accomplish, when I see a, there's a look when a light bulb goes off. Yes. Right? Uh, yes. When I see that happen, oh, <laughs> I, I ride that high for, yeah. for days. Like, ooh. Jeremiah got that. And maybe he was struggling on measure 25 of this piece, but now it's, it's perfect. Uh, So uh, that feels really good. Uh, The community of band directors in our country, the community of um, of black band directors really sticks together and supports one another, uplifts one another. And um, I'm really proud of that because this it's built, it's expanding. It's yeah. expanding this network so that there's, you know, will be more than just a few dozen of us out there. So um, I'm proud to watch that grow. Have you had an opportunity to meet any of the others? So you said there were how many? 16? Right now? Yeah, yeah that, the, I think there are about 16 in the, in the history of the United States, but I think there's only about 10 fe- Black female college band directors right now. Okay. And have you met any of them? Actually, yes. My uh, one of my biggest role models, Myra Roden. She's a high school band director at Fayette County High School. She's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, she 
leads an amazing program. I used to fangirl uh, when I meet her, and now we're friends. Um, but she started an organization called the Association of Black Women Band Directors. And it started out this summer with her sending me a text like, hey, Tanya, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Will you moderate with me? I said, oh, of course. And a few people showed up and then a few more and then a few more. And now it's an actual organization and it's a whole network of just Black women band directors, for which there are a few college band directors, high school, middle school. So yes, through that, I have gotten to meet a number of them. Yes. Well, great, great, great. Excellent. So did we talk about music in the academic setting? We kind of talked about that or no? We A little bit. Yeah. Okay. You want to touch on that a little bit more before we close out? Uh, sure, sure. Um, I have a personal philosophy when it comes to programming concerts. Uh, obviously, the biggest thing that we as band directors do is we pick music to perform. Uh, there are a lot of other things that we do too, but a concert, you know, consists of us choosing the music and selecting the music. There's a big thing in our field, quality repertoire, tried and true repertoire. And that ends up being a lot of music from like the Western art canon, the Western art tradition, East, uh, Western European music. And it leads to concerts being nothing but white male composers and so one philosophy I have is every concert that I do will have a person of color. Every concert that I do will have a woman. Every concert that I do will be 50% living composers so they can talk to and interact with students. And wow. so kind of that music in an academia uh, is very, I don't, uh, stagnant, mm-hmm. which is a singular, uh, singular demographic uh, for okay. the most part. And that's starting to change big time in our country, like the number of schools, Penn State included, that are having open conversations and reflecting on, hey, you know, the past 200 programs that have been performed in this hall have had pieces by two women and two people of color. That's a thousand (laughs) pieces for which there are two pieces, right? (laughs) The problem here is... Yeah, that's problematic. And so... (laughs) we're looking at that and we're looking to change that. And I'm so glad. And, you know, what's interesting about this is when I first got my job at Penn State, I met with every single one of my students in my group. And I said, you know, where are you from? Tell me about yourself. Why'd you choose your instrument? Why'd you choose Penn State? What are you excited about? And these students, you know what they said? They said, I'm excited to learn about new composers and new voices and women and people of color. Could we please do that? Before I even got a chance to say, this is already my philosophy. This is going to be amazing. Oh, I cannot wait. They preemptively, many, many students asked for it. Now, did you put that on your your Facebook or anything that that's what you were trying to do? Were they trying to, had they researched you and... (laughs) Uh, Well, I did talk about it in my interview. (laughs) It's a value system of mine. I'm not going to hide it. And I, so a few of the students in my were there for my interview, and I said, this is my philosophy. Oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, right. I, but, I, I didn't put two and two together. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a high school teacher, so I'm cynical. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're 100% right. They're just trying to get on my good side. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I do not. think they bet it, though. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sh- Sure, I'm sure. And I'm sure that they are thrilled 
that they're going to be able to realize that with you uh, uh, guiding them. So two more questions. Um, If you are talking to some young lady that's in middle school now thinking about being a band director, what advice would you give her? Mm. Wow. Work hard, you know, first and foremost. School does not give you all the opportunities that one needs to be successful in any field. If you want to be truly successful, look for opportunities outside of what school provides you. Uh, That doesn't mean you have to take lessons. That doesn't mean you have to pay a bunch of money to be going all over town. That just means have like an insatiable curiosity. Look at YouTube videos, uh, research different pieces. You can do all this stuff on your phone. Um, but that's, that's one big thing. Like school teaches the curriculum. If you yes. want to really excel, then you have to put in some work and do some things on your own and be, be curious, be curious. Uh, another thing I would say is um, I told you I struggled because I didn't have those role models because I didn't see uh, it exists. So find it and connect with people. You know, human beings are human beings. If you see someone that you really respect, that you look up to, send them an email. I bet they'll respond. Wow. Yeah. All right. Great advice. And now to the last and most important question. (laughs) Have you ever been on the cover of a magazine? I have not. (laughs) Well, one of the treats for our guest that comes on to the Trippin' in Black podcast is that we placed them on that episode's version of the Drippin' in Black magazine. So there you are. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. Look at that. It's such a big picture too. The whole, <laughs> the whole page. <laughs> I love that. Yep. So that's the uh, cover. Don't flip the cover. I don't know what's, I don't know what's behind the cover, but you definitely have the cover taken care of. <laughs> wow. All right, so that Thank will be you. Uh, That's wonderful. That will be one of our parting gifts to you, and we will get that out to you uh, as appreciation for you coming out. Oh well, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. Uh, I have been looking forward to this ever since you contacted me. I was like, "What am I going to say? Me? What am I going to?" But this is—I I can't say enough how how much I enjoyed this and how much I appreciate what you are doing for our community and seeing that representation in such a positive light. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we will keep in touch. We want to keep up with you and maybe have you back on at a later date. I didn't ask this question. Um, so you're in this director role at Penn state. What's next? Uh, well, I hope to stay here at Penn State for a while. It is kind of a dream. It's a it's a dream position. I hope to, in this position, be able to break down some some barriers that the traditional that that we have in our traditional music school. Change the way that we do some programs. Sometimes I feel like when you go to a concert, you have to sit still, and if your chair squeaks, you just have to deal with it until the pieces. Are, you know, I'd like to work on breaking down a lot of those barriers and bring in a lot of different influences, collaborations, different people, different voices into our uh, classical traditional sphere to kind of change what we think of, change the word traditional so we don't think the same things anymore. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm, I'm just excited to watch 
what uh come what what transpires as you continue to grow in your directorship and uh just so grateful that you made time to come on so we want to thank you for coming out and uh we will we will keep up with you and maybe see you later absolutely thank you again up next the last drip but first a message from anchor Dripping in Black thanks to Dr. Tanya Mitchell-Spratlin, who is, in my humble opinion, a budding superstar. She has the passion, mindset, determination, and skills to reimagine traditions in the world of conducting while inspiring generations to come. Um, So looking forward to seeing what the future holds for that young lady. But now we have reached the final segment of our podcast called The Last Drip. The last drip is the last opportunity for us to squeeze in a bit more black excellence before we leave you. In this final segment, we highlight a common thread between our guests and our vast and rich African-American history. For this episode, we tell the truly phenomenal story of Margaret Rosarian Harris. Margaret was born in Chicago in 1943 and by the age of three, She was already a prodigy on the piano. In 1947, before she was four years old, she played a public piano recital of 18 short pieces and three encores, all performed from memory. Days before she would turn four, she went to court to get the right to pursue a professional career. She had been taking piano lessons for less than a year, but had already mastered several pieces of music. She was reading music before she was reading print. She was also said to have perfect pitch, meaning she could recognize any note upon hearing it. Margaret performed concert tours until she was six, during which time she took a break to attend school. At the age of 10, she performed with the Chicago Symphony and won a scholarship to the Curtis Institute in Philadelphia. At age 12, she was enrolled into one of the world's premier schools for the performing arts the Juilliard School. She eventually earned her bachelor's and master's degree from the Juilliard School. As an adult, Ms. Harris gained additional celebrity as a conductor. In 1970, she became music director of the Broadway musical Hair, in which she commanded an orchestra of seven males, all of whom were older than she was. Margaret was the first black woman to conduct the symphony orchestras of Chicago, Detroit, Los Angeles, St. Louis, Minnesota, and 11 other American cities. Margaret Rosarian Harris, like this episode's guest, Dr. Tanya Mitchell Spradlin, was motivated at an early age to follow her passion into a profession in which she transformed traditions and blazed a trail for future generations. Her remarkable story is this episode's last drip. For more on Margaret Rosarian Harris, check out newspapers.com, ladailymirror.com, sfgate.com, and bibliolore.org. My thanks to all of these websites for the knowledge. 
And as always, at this time, I implore you to get up on the vast and rich African-American history. It is out there for those of us who seek it. All right. And at this time, as always, I implore you to be good, be good, be good. It is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production.